Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the arrow, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, run of a governor in Texas. There'll be a big governor's meeting uh, tomorrow. Republican governors wondering how we could get together and stop uh, the invasion at our southern border because the federal government doesn't want to. We'll discuss that, too. The President of the United States is going to be delivering remarks on the bipartisan infrastructure bill and his reconciliation bill at about 4 o'clock today, 4.30, over in Michigan. Now he's campaigning for a bill that should have been passed already, according to his agenda? I mean, how misfiring are they uh, in uh, at the White House? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Making this forced mandated, essentially what it's done is breed distrust in public health. The movement that was against vaccines was a tiny fringe movement before this. By these coercive measures, they've taken that movement and turned it into a much larger movement. It's actually damaging to the public health. It's true. The mandate mania, governments large and small making their demands, losing employees, teachers, raising, raising the national anger and staying divorced from reality which says Delta is dying, natural immunity matters, and dangers to our kids are small and almost immeasurable. Number two. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, P.L. Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. The only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around. It does not. Part of the process. It does not happen to everybody, and it better not. It's not okay to harass lawmakers, from Mitt Romney to Kirsten Sinema to Lindsey Graham uh, to Joe Manchin. Protesters and activists are hunting down, stalking political and public figures. Once again, when asked to condemn it, President Biden falls way short. Tragedy awaits unless we all dial this back. Number one. Why let McConnell off the hook or Republicans off the hook? This is their debt that they chalked up themselves. This is a period of time where we could easily solve this in the next two days uh, and easily do that through allowing Democrats to be the adults in the room, despite the fact that Republicans spent like drunken sailors over the last four years. You mean when the pandemic happened, not going into not going to do it. Uh, That's what Mitch McConnell says to Joe Biden about agreeing to raise debt ceiling after being double crossed on bipartisan infrastructure deal and getting ignored on a record reconciliation deal. Why would the GOP play ball now? The answer, they will not. Let's do what Dems do best. Act alone. After all, Senator Biden uh, voted no on the debt ceiling four separate times. But that didn't stop him from condemning it yesterday. He's never been so outraged in his life. Back to all the way back to 1998, Joe Biden was saying we should not be raising the debt ceiling. But listen to him yesterday. Cut three. And Republicans in Congress raised the debt three times when Donald Trump was president, and each time with Democrat support. But now they won't raise it, even though they're responsible for more than $8 trillion in bills incurred in four years under the previous administration. That's what we'd be paying off. Mitch McConnell answers cut six. The majority doesn't need our votes. They just want a partisan, they just want a bipartisan shortcut around procedural hurdles 
they can actually clear on their own. And they want that shortcut so they can pivot right back to partisan spending as fast as possible. The majority needs to stop sleepwalking toward yet another preventable crisis. Democrats need to tackle the debt limit. We gave them a roadmap and three months notice. I suggest that our colleagues get moving. Yeah, uh, and I don't think he is moving. He kept saying it over and over again. He doesn't even say what he wants. What might have been a good deal is what, um, what Mick Mulvaney brought up to me on television on Thursday night He said, or Friday night. He said, let's do a deal. He said, I'll raise the debt ceiling, forget about the reconciliation bill, and see if they bite on that. The problem with Joe Biden, his feigned anger and saying get out of the way to Republicans, which I'll play at a different time in the soundbite, it just further divides the country. It ups the anger in the country. Grover Norquist also said this guy looks like a total hypocrite. Cut nine. He's president of the Americans for Tax Reform. Well, if he's talking about raising the debt ceiling, Mr. Biden four times voted against raising the debt ceiling and insisted uh, in 84 and in uh, 2003 and 2004 and 2006 that the Republicans do it themselves, which is exactly what the Republicans are telling Democrats now. He must think we have a bad memory. Uh, this is written down. This was in the newspapers. The Democrats have the power to raise the debt ceiling tomorrow morning if they want to. And look, they're still so embarrassed about what happened last week, unable to get a bipartisan on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, unable to get a vote because they decided to link it with the reconciliation bill. Instead of standing up to the separatist socialist uh, squad, he took their side, said, yeah, you know what? Joe Biden, uh, Joe Manchin's at one point five trillion. You're at three point five. We'll probably meet somewhere halfway. We'll get this done. Oh, let's just take our time. So he set up a deadline. He blows through the deadline and then just pushes it all back and then says, oh, about the debt ceiling. How dare you, Republicans, not vote for it? He can get it done through reconciliation. I suggest he do it. The other thing I suggest is I don't care how angry you are at either party or either person or any person. Do not stalk. Do not harass. It's different from protesting. Standing in front of their office, protesting is different than following someone into a bathroom stall, harassing them on a plane, making sure they're not able to walk through a hallway. That is not okay because you don't agree with the person, even though I imagine, judging by what you're saying, you're both in the Democratic Party. Why the president wrestled with this question, I will never know. He got a layup from uh, Fox, and for some reason, he said this, cut 13. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, T.L. Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Part of the process? That was the easiest question he would ever get, and I'll add something to that. If any member of the squad or a person uh, so-called of color was harassed by another protester who was white, they'd be saying, look how hard it is to be a minority in Washington. How dare they speak up when they use and speak their minds? They get hassled into the stalls of a bathroom when they're supposed to be teaching at Arizona State and have a degree of security. How dare they do that? How disrespectful towards this new generation. Instead, as Kirsten Sinema, she gummed up this reconciliation package, so she should be harassed wherever she goes and mocked on SNL. You want to know how detached people are? They're trying to 
things are so skewed. I don't even know how MSNBC and CNN can get through 24 hours of programming because they have to avoid all these stories on the protesters who are protesting and hounding a moderate Democrat who ran virtually as an independent and was living up to the maverick seat that John McCain had. Suddenly she is enemy number one. Laura Jarrett, CNN anchor and Valerie Jarrett's daughter, aide to President Obama, cut 15. Some video surfaced this weekend of protesters following uh, Senator Cinema into a bathroom to confront her on her opposition to a different plan, not, not the reconciliation plan, but this $3.5 trillion plan to remake the social safety net. Uh, following someone in, into the bathroom is obviously gross. But it, does it also suggest to you, Julian, that voters might actually be more engaged and animated on these issues that we might actually understand? Exactly. Well, if I'm being harassed outside a bathroom stall, I could look at the bright side. At least they're being animated about our nation's issues. That is somebody speaking who is not being harassed walking through an airport. And you could be a UFC fighter, as I said on TV. You could be somebody that could uh, Bruce Lee. You could be somebody that can defend themselves, but you have no advantage to doing it. It would just bring in more protesters and provide another viral moment on the Internet. And keep in mind, when they went into cinema on Sunday, I think it was, or Monday, they had two cameras, one shooting somebody who was taping her. So two people in the women's room at Arizona State University hassling someone because they wanted to sign off on a bipartisan bill but had no interest in the irresponsible reconciliation bill. So here's how she was greeted. Here's how she was greeted yesterday when she got in. I don't know. We don't actually have that, do we? Um, that's what she was. I have the protesters in the bathroom. Here's them harassing Joe Manchin. Cut 12. Senator, this is an investment. This is not giving out money. This is not spending. This is investing and this is building the state that we both love. That's why we're both here fighting for our people, because we love West Virginia and we believe in our state. We need you to stand with us. Unbelievable. That's okay. That's okay. We need you to stand with us. The guy just on a boat. It's a Saturday. You're screaming outside in a kayak. He said, you come by my office on Monday. I'm sure they didn't. But if they did, I'm sure he would see them. What don't you understand? He's already answered every question from the press. He sat there and took him while he walked. He took him in front of a building. He took him outside. He's not hiding anything. Also in the debt ceiling, he is not with Joe Biden on the debt ceiling. He's a little bit more logical than that. In fact, Joe Manchin... Uh, came out and weighed in on that. And Joe Manchin said, hey, listen, uh, we shouldn't rule out anything. We can't. We, we just can't let the debt ceiling lapse. We just can't. We can prevent the default. We can really prevent it. There's a way to do it. And there's a couple of other tools we have that we can use. Takes a little bit of time, a little bit, but we'll be able to do it. So instead of panicking, that's what you could do. But got to stop the harassing. I thought about it with Mitt Romney, too. He went against the president. A lot of Trump supporters were angry at him. He should be able to get on a plane. Lindsey Graham was kind of upset with the president on January 6th. You remember that? Good reason to be. And he was harassed uh, when he went to the airport. He was harassed when he got on the ground in South Carolina. And I think immediately you got to get these men and women, if they needed security. Obviously, Kirsten Cinema, you should not be getting that close to her. When she got on a plane, she was harassed the whole time, reportedly. When she got off the plane, she was being screamed at while she was walking in the airport. Not okay. 
Here's what Lee Zeldin said last night with Greg Gutsfeld, Cut 17. You know, Lee Zeldin is running for governor of New York. He's a congressman from Long Island, Cut 17. I mean, this happened to me earlier today, not following me into a restaurant. I'm just trying to go to my office, and they're all waiting outside, trying to create a moment to go viral. They were waiting outside of the front door of our building here inside of the, the city. Uh, you know, the other extreme of this is when we had colleagues in the House of Representatives a few years ago where Steve Scalise almost lost his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these people, they, they follow uh, their leaders, their, the Maxine Waters who asks for confrontation. They take it to the next level and thank God for the Capitol Police. Uh, they saved a whole bunch of people's lives. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, the tactic is wrong. Uh, if I'm cinema, I don't think this helps convince me to vote for their several trillion dollar monstrosity of a bill. I think this would actually make me less likely to vote for the bill. Yeah, I, do. I think, too, if you read her profile, she's a triathlete. She doesn't care what people think. She ran as more of an independent Democrat who wasn't agreeing with a lot of that platform. And that is why Martha McSally had a hard time beating her. She's a fighter pilot, hard, uh, hardcore conservative, got it. And Kristen Cinema was able to appeal to more Democrats and eked out a win. Remember that election that dragged on and on, but she was trailing and gradually got that win? She's got five, three, four more years left. So get used to it, uh, Arizona. You voted for her. She technically won on the Democratic platform. So uh, suck it up. She's going to make people account for the amount of money they're spending of yours. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, we'll talk about those two topics, and I'm also going to be talking about uh, what is happening uh, with this mandate mania. You're not going to believe how many people lost their jobs for no good reason yesterday. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path.
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show making this forced mandated essentially what it's done is breed distrust in public health and frankly even in the other vaccines well the 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 vaccine movement the, the the movement that was against vaccines was a tiny fringe movement before this by these coercive measures, they've taken that movement and turned it into a much larger movement. It's actually damaging to the public health, damaging to children, because it's bred distrust. I don't really understand the push behind it. So uh, in a frustration, because only 75 percent of our country, and I'm being sarcastic, got a, uh, at least a single shot, they have decided to mandate. First, mandate the military. You're going to lose a whole bunch of SEALs, a lot of Army, Navy, mil- uh, uh, and Space Force, I imagine. Every branch is going to lose quality people. Why? Because a lot of them have natural immunity. They don't trust, for whatever reason, something that came uh, out of thin air in just a year for me. I did the research. I don't feel that way. I feel the technology was out there. But the vaccinations, the ones you get when you're a kid, uh, you don't need any boosters. Now we're needing boosters six months in. A lot of people are suspicious, and they hear ugly things, especially in the military. Now, on top of that, you have teachers in New York City and Los Angeles. Now everyone, all those teachers got to get vaccinated. So you have military got to be vaccinated. You have now employment job. Uh, if you are working for a company with over 100 employees, they want to mandate that. And a lot of people are pushing back. Big. In fact, the numbers are are huge. The teachers had a rally to support a lot of them being fired. Approximately 8,000 of the 148,000 Department of Education employees out of a job. 3,000 out of the uh, 78,000 teachers. 12 out of 1,600 principals are unvaccinated. So they were told you're not getting paid. Don't come to work. But it didn't stop there. Northwell Health, which is this huge health care company, on Long Island, which is would be the 15th biggest market in the country if they weren't attached to New York, and we all wish we were not attached to New York City, uh, they are they are having problems. They have decided to lay off 1,400 medical workers, 1,400 employees. They were hiring outsiders from outside the country with the ouster. They want 100% of Northwell's employees vaccinated. They're in the high 90s. That was not good enough. That's scary. Today, you went from one, your career's on a roll, you're ready to go, and all of a sudden, because you don't want to get a shot that they just came up with a year ago, you are fired. Now, big big problem in sports, too. Cole Beasley of the Bills, going at it with Mark Cuban a little bit. He says this, only place I get booed is at our home stadium. Then some of the people want me to take pictures and sign autographs. I thought Bills fans were the best in the business. Where'd they go? If the vaccine works, then why do vax people need to protect it from unvaxed people? Mark Cuban tweets this out. Bees, the problem isn't so much your choice as it is your logic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You know the rules that apply to your choice, and that is, as I turn my page, and that is to use to make. But the examples you gave as a basis for why you make your choice are questionable. And Beasley's response to Cuban... I didn't get it because I do not need it. What other explanation do you need? The fact is, I don't need to explain any reason for my own choice is the problem. That's the whole point. The risks are not the same for everyone. Jonathan Isaac of Orlando, 
weighed in. And here's a look what he said. He says, bullying people into getting vaccinated can be a slippery slope. You're absolutely right. And what I thought a great analogy, people tell you all the time, get a flu shot, get a flu shot, get a flu shot. Most people I know don't get a flu shot. But it's not like getting a shot for measles and other things that you get as a kid because you get a flu shot every year. We're going to need this every year. People aren't comfortable with that. And they're educated people not comfortable with that. Those athletes that love to vote for Joe Biden are not comfortable for that. Military men and women are comfortable. Unbelievable. one 866 time When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West wants to be governor of Texas. Uh, that'll be great. We'll talk to him about that and so much more, including Afghanistan. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Does it surprise you how fast the Taliban took over? Not really. If you watch the trend of history from about 2010 on, the United States was constantly signaling that we were going to get out as soon as we could. And then that sped up with the Doha agreement. So the Afghan people started to calculate, wow, this is very dangerous. They lacked full confidence in their own government for some good reasons. And so I think what happened is a crisis of confidence just came to a head uh, when we started the final pullout. And so things collapsed pretty quickly. General McChrystal, if he was there, it wouldn't have happened. If he was there and he got to make those decisions, it wouldn't have happened. I think he probably, my hunch, and maybe you'll have a chance to ask him. He's on a book tour now. Uh, His book is called Risk, A User's Guide, which is great, especially because nobody wants to take a risk with this pandemic. And where do you draw the line? I mean, the latest thing they said with the CDC, they want us on Christmas to put fans in our windows to blow the air out. Really? Do you know when Christmas is? Last time I checked, it was December. Do you realize not all of us live in Florida or or California? Um, so the risk, in, but he was talking about Afghanistan, which brings me to my next guest. Spent some considerable time there. Now wants to be the next governor of Texas. Uh, Colonel Allen West, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. How are you today? I just, well, which, first off, what's your comment on what General McChrystal said? Since 2010, we gave indications we're going to leave, and there was uh, the Afghan people didn't have faith in their government. What's your reaction to that? Well, no, I think he's absolutely right. Uh, when you continue to have the drip, drip, drip of uh, dropping the hint, saying that uh, you're looking to leave, you don't have the, the staying resolve or that commitment, uh, people are going to start thinking uh, elsewhere. And understand this, that Afghanistan is a country of four different ethnic groups, the Pashtuns, who are really that, that leans toward the Taliban. Then you have the Hazara, which is a small minority, but you have the Tajiks and the Uzbeks. And so even though you say someone is the president of Afghanistan, Really, he is basically the mayor of Kabul because the power center in Afghanistan is down with the tribal leaders. It's down there at the provincial levels. And that is where you saw the Taliban slowly creep back in and start to reassert their power and domination and control. And so when we uh, hit that, that go button to uh, to finally uh, you know get out of Afghanistan, when we pull back our intelligence support, our uh, air support and things of that nature, then that's why they collapsed because they did not see anyone that's going to stand with them, even so, though some are still right. fighting. Right. Uh, a couple of things. You just wondered. I haven't read the Afghanistan papers, but I will uh, soon. But in 2010, we had the surge and we're pulling people out just before we even fully deploy them in. 
So when we were out there, and then we changed the posture in 2014. But I'm just wondering how long we actually had to tolerate a corrupt government. If Gahani was better than Karzai, but wasn't had no experience leading, did anyone else think about rotating somebody through? Of course, they were voting for their own people. But are there any? Was was it like we looked through everybody and there was nobody we could trust that would resonate with the Afghanistan people, or is it was it just a lack of focus on it? Well, I think what happened there in Afghanistan is that we just went with the person that, quote-unquote, stepped up to the plate first. And that was the failure of going with Hamid Karzai because, I mean, his brother was one of the biggest uh, warlords and drug lords down in southern Afghanistan. And we knew the level of corruption that he had. So we did not really take time to develop that level of leadership uh, in Afghanistan. And you can't really, you know, try to turn people into a Jeffersonian democracy in a place like Afghanistan. But what we could have at least done is try to develop, you know, the next generation of uh, political leaders that would be uh, less corrupt and concerned about their people. That's what we tried to do with certain military leaders. I remember some Afghanistan off- Army officers being able to come over to our command and general staff college here, and uh, they went back and commanded commando units, it's battalions, things of that nature. Oh, interesting. Um Colonel, I want you to hear what Adela Raz said. She is. She says she's the Afghanistan ambassador to the U.S. Even though the government has changed, she does not want to give up that spot. So she sat down with Jonathan Swan of Axios on HBO, and here's a little of what she said. And it just, you wonder, we did leave, people really did count on us. People really did for 20 years have an understanding of what life could be like. And we did give them a lot of hope. Cut 34. Did you get the sense that President Biden cared about the fate of Afghan women? I don't think so. He said U.S. could not be the police of the world to protect women in any other country. What type of tools are left right now to pressure Taliban, that they respect the human rights? They don't. And, you know, the Clarissa Ward on CNN is doing a great job. She's in there, and she's seeing these women have just been removed from society. If they're going to meet and they're going to exercise their freedom and education, it's got to be done illicitly. So I know we're not on this planet to free women or uh, the oppressed. I know we have our own challenges. But you just say, has anyone, you just wonder, has anyone thought this through? Well, one of the things that I just found unconscionable is that if you're a young girl born in Afghanistan, let's say 19 or 20 years ago, guess what you have only known? You've only known that you could have freedom. You've known that you could get a, uh, an education, uh, that maybe you can grow up and be a government official. You could drive yourself. Now, all of a sudden, at the, the drop of a dime, all of those freedoms and liberties that they consistently knew of their past 19 or 20 years, they're gone. And so I think that's an incredible betrayal and abandonment of, of women, especially when you hear all of the, the squad and all of the feminists on the left. Uh, when it comes to standing with their sisters in Afghanistan, you just get crickets. It's absolutely true. The other thing is you're running for governor of Texas. It's hard to imagine an, an issue more important than what's happening at the border. The current governor mm-hmm. of Texas is having a conference tomorrow, a press conference with other governors to talk about how this open border is affecting all of them. Rodney Scott, former Border Patrol chief, sat down with with Brett Baer, and here's what he said about the, the state of the border uh, today. Cut 36. And while many of the political appointees assigned currently literally just lack the knowledge and the expertise uh, that they, they could make a statement like that and, and believe that it was true, he's a very smart guy. 
He's got a lot of experience in Homeland Security. He knows what he's doing. He knows the impacts. I've sat in a room and heard some of the comments he made. He, he knows what's going on, and he knows that border is not as secure today as it was on January 19th. So he's talking about Mayorkas, who was deputy director of Homeland Security with under Jay Johnson, knows how to do it, and is pretending and keeps telling us this is cyclical, that a year ago he was told from the Panamanian officials, we got thousands of Haitians making their way through our jungles from Colombia. You have to stop it or address it, and we didn't. What are they up to? Well, I find it very interesting because just recently we had the mayor of Laredo, Texas, who is a Democrat, come out and openly say that things were better along the border a year ago and under the Trump administration. So, And you also have a Democrat mayor uh, over there in uh, Del Rio, Texas, saying that basically the exact same thing. So everyone is realizing that this is a very dire situation, and we continue to allow it to be so, and that's why we are facing another 80,000 potentially heading uh, toward uh, the, the Texas border. And so now is not the time for more conferences or meetings or or whatever, the people that are living along the border regions in Texas are are under terror. Uh, without a doubt, the cartels are in control, and every day, every night, uh, people are being brought across uh, the Rio Grande River. So people here in Texas are looking for action that, that will stop this. They're tired of seeing their property being uh, ransacked and their livestock and uh, not being able to go out and take their kids out at night on their own property. So, you know, we don't need more, more talk. We, you know, Secretary Mayor needs to take action or just get out of the way. And uh, again, that's one of the main reasons why I'm running for governor is that we need to have someone that will stand up against the unconstitutional actions of the Biden administration. So this headline today struck me. A U.S. military first. The war in Afghanistan ended with zero MIAs. Really? Have they thought maybe there's no military MIAs, but missing in action. We have hundreds, thousands of allied people that you work with when you were over in out of the gates and ready to go hey it's hutton with row hot mike is here on the outkick network we've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my <laughs> name is chad his name is jonathan but you get the picture we're gonna bring it every single day whatever you want to call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share afghanistan i imagine you were an advisor of the afghan national army then we have americans that are still there I just talked to michael waltz yesterday he got two 80 year olds out but yet they did a story how isn't that great no mias like vietnam well, what they're trying to do is put any type of positive spin on what is going on because the Biden administration is in a free fall. Uh, I don't think they can name one positive thing that has come out of this Biden administration in these first nine to 10 months. And so you take something like that and you put out an absurd headline, which can be easily refuted because what do you call Americans that you left behind? What do you call the special immigration visa holders that you left behind? Those people are missing in action. Those people are abandoned. And that's exactly what the Biden administration did. And that was something that he said in the interview with George Stephan that he was not going to do. Right. Terrible. Uh, if people want to support uh, your run, uh, Colonel, where do they go? 
they go to West, the number four, Texas.com, West four, Texas.com. And thank you so very much, Brian. Go get him. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen wants to be the next governor of Texas. When we come back, your turn, one 408 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He walked right into the bar, walked right over to me, gave me a bear hug, slipped one hand down my body to my buttocks, and squeezed really hard on my cheek while saying, I can do this to you now that you're no longer my boss. And I pushed him away and said, no, you can't. And when, as I pushed him away and stepped back, it revealed that my husband was sitting on a very low ottoman, which you couldn't see him. You know, while I was talking to people I worked with, he was just sitting there drinking a Diet Coke, you know, waiting for the, to leave. He didn't know anybody. So he saw everything. It was right Mm -hmm. in front of him. Uh, that is um, uh, Megan Kelly talking to Shelly Ross, who accused Chris Cuomo of groping her. And I don't think it was denied. In fact, she also put out in that New York Times story the apology note that he dropped for her, which basically verifies everything she was saying. Uh, she went on to talk more. At this moment, here's this guy who's, you know, an anchor, a talent at the at the network. You're in a very well-respected position there. You've been there almost 20 years and what goes through your head as this guy has the nerve to squeeze your ass? It was belittling. It was clearly a power trip it, to make me feel, you know, you're no longer my boss. I can do anything I want with you. You know, he knew he something in his head said he couldn't do that when I was his boss. Maybe he thought he would get, uh, you know. I would fire him or something, but it, it was meant to diminish. Uh, Chris Cuomo's over six feet tall. I'm five two. I, I'm under a hundred pounds, and it it was overpowering, and I certainly didn't like it. So that uh, kind of blew him up, and then there was another staffer that came forward, uh, Don Lemon, with a huge court case. So obviously the things aren't going great in primetime. And if the, I think what's worse, that's what's worse. But what's something note, also noteworthy is the ratings are terrible. They don't even break a one. We get more. We have better ratings at five in the morning than they get at nine at night. That was not the case before. But if you watch it, they're avoiding every major story that people care about. They're avoiding the border. They're avoiding Afghanistan. They're avoiding the president's many faux pas. They're avoiding the, the big debate on the spending plan, the debt ceiling, the fact that he has uh, voted four separate times to raise the debt ceiling, uh, but uh, not not to raise the debt ceiling, but now condemning Republicans, further dividing uh, the country. You know, they don't want to talk about Kristen Sinema uh, getting harassed. What are they even talking about? 
But that that's the tone that's being set. So here's a little bit more for Joe Biden. He's got a, a speech today at 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, it's going to be in Michigan because he wants to win them back. By the way, Michigan's one of the few places, I believe, up in the upper northwest that's experienced somewhat of a surge with Delta or more still has a, a challenge along with Alaska. Here's what Joe Biden was saying about his Build Back Better plan, that it's his. Stop saying it's Bernie's. Cut four. The legislation, both the Build Back Better piece as well as the infrastructure piece, are things that I wrote. These, are, these, these didn't come from, God love them, Bernie Sanders or AOC or anybody else. I wrote them. I disagreed with Medicare for All, for example. I disagreed, but I laid out what I thought would be important. I don't know. Uh, I think he watches us and listens to us a lot more than he lets on because that's exactly what we were saying. You didn't get elected. They didn't elect Bernie Sanders. In fact, the Democratic Party panicked when, when Bernie Sanders won in Nevada. They said, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to get the nomination. We know he cannot bend. America does not want to elect somebody an avowed socialist. He's just not going to be able to do it. So uh, what are we going to do? We got to quick see if Joe Biden can do it. He meets with James Clyburn. Clyburn says, you got to restack. You, you got you to reset your team, and then I'll support you. He delivered South Carolina. He was able to get on a roll and go right through. Remember how disastrous he was in Iowa? It was an absolute mess. He left before the final verdict was up in New Hampshire. He did terrible in Nevada, and he was basically handed the nomination. Bernie Sanders was not, and this is Bernie Sanders' schedule. This is the progressive Want wish list, which they're not going to get everything, but they're going to get a lot of it. And you hear what Jay Appel was saying, what we explain, what we explained, and Ro Kahana was saying, uh, it was explained to us by Joe Biden that you could put these programs out there, just not fully fund them and gradually get them bigger and bigger, and no one's ever going to want to see them go. That's what happened with the New Deal. thought to myself, okay, that is manipulative. But speaking of manipulative, I told you this on Sunday – When we talk about this pandemic and turning the corner, we have on the Delta, it's falling off the cliff. The cases are down 35 percent. Deaths are down significantly. You see, if you look at the shade map, the darker, the worse. You could see Texas and Texas and Florida are way out of it. The whole south outside a small area in Virginia is now out of the woods. So out of nowhere, when Anthony Fauci is asked this question, uh, he's asked about Christmas. And his answer essentially on Christmas was, we'll have to wait and see. Let's see where we're at. Here's what he said when the firestorm started out, because we all are having Christmas. We're not waiting for Anthony Fauci to give us permission to have Christmas. When he realized what he said and it was based on nothing, this is what he tried to say. Blame us. Cut 23. That was misinterpreted. I will be spending Christmas with my family. I encourage people, particularly the vaccinated people who are protected, to have a good, normal Christmas with your family. Yeah, thanks. Now let's look and see if it was misinterpreted. See if I jumped to conclusions. Cut 24. But we can gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell? You know, Margaret, we, it's just too soon to tell. We've okay. just got to concentrating on continuing to get those numbers down and not yeah. try to jump ahead by weeks or months and say what we're going to do at a particular time. you got to be kidding. Get the numbers down. Don't jump ahead. No one needs that advice. But now we have the CDC saying when you get together, when, if you're going to get together on these holidays, I imagine Thanksgiving first, if we can get a turkey, which is we have uh, supply problems, might be a good time for the transportation secretary to get involved and do something. 
Because we're not getting anything off ships. We're not getting anybody in trucks. Maybe you could find a mass hiring spree or see if there's a sector of our economy or, or of our workforce that wants to make the transition. So when you have Anthony Fauci, who freely says on a documentary that he has PTSD, saying things all over the map like you can't have Christmas and we just got to get people vaccinated at the same time, announcing and saying I'm excited about Merck uh, coming up with this product that allows people to get this and not suffer the illness. You get it, you take this pill, and the illness goes away. We didn't get enough. That's the problem. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Jonathan Swan, and we're going to be doing a simulcast with Barney and Company, and we'll be taking your calls. Keep in mind, if you ever miss the show live, go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can get the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. So uh, we're getting a lot of downloads on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Making this forced mandated, essentially what it's done is breed distrust in public health. The movement that was against vaccines was a tiny fringe movement before this. By these coercive measures, they've taken that movement and turned it into a much larger movement. It's actually damaging to the public health. Yeah, that's uh, what they're saying, Dr. Jay Bacciara on Laura Ingram last night. Mandate mania, governments large and small making their demands, losing employees, teachers, raising the anger level and divorce from reality, too, because the Delta variant is dying. Natural immunity matters and the dangers to kids are so small, it's almost immeasurable. Can we move on, please? Number two. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. T.L. Adam, Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. The only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. It's okay. part of the process. Unbelievable. How could he blow even that question? It's not okay to harass lawmakers from Mitt Romney to Kirsten Cinema to Lindsey Graham. Protesters and Joe Manchin. Protesters and activists are hunting and stalking political and public figures. Once again, when asked to condemn it, President Biden falls way short. Tragedy awaits unless we dial this back and would help if the president helped. Number one. Why let McConnell off the hook or Republicans off the hook? This is their debt that they chalked up themselves. This is a period of time where we could easily solve this in the next two days uh, and easily do that through allowing Democrats to be the adults in the room, despite the fact that Republicans spent like drunken sailors over the last four years. Oh, please. Uh, That's coming from somebody working in the Obama administration. And that was a pandemic that was uh, really screwed up the president's calculus at the end of his term. Not going to do it. That's what Mitch McConnell says to Joe Biden about agreeing to raise debt ce- the debt ceiling and being double-crossed on a bipartisan infrastructure deal and getting ignored on a reconciliation deal. Why would the GOP play ball now? The answer, they won't. Let's do what Democrats do, and that they always act alone. Make Republicans act alone. Make them have the Democrats act alone. Uh, after all, Senator Joe Biden voted no on the debt ceiling four times when he was— uh, when he was working for Delaware. 
Let's bring in Jonathan Swan, who's working for Axios, national political correspondent. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Jonathan, what was the biggest surprise, if anything, that took place last week for you? Well, I think we've always been underpricing, I just mean as a collective we, uh, the possibility that the Biden agenda could, uh, the legislative agenda could fall apart. And so I don't know that it's a huge surprise, but I think given the way that, you know, the bullishness with which people were discussing getting, or maybe just the sort of blasé and the president took a long time to really engage on uh, in terms of pushing these bills on the hill. Um, that sort of, uh, if you want to call it passivity, uh, perhaps suggested that they were very confident they were going to get all of this done. They still might, by the way, but it, it, it's really difficult. And the fact that these two bills are now linked uh, creates real problems. And, and I still don't see a clear path to raising the debt limit, which should concern everyone because, uh, you know, we're not that far off. According to, if you take Janet Yellen and her word, uh, we're not that far off a potential default. Yeah. I mean, if we get, if we get there, here's the, here's the thing. I, do you realize the president's going out today to Michigan to talk about his reconciliation plan? Where was he this summer? I mean, what was he doing? I mean, they act like they just came up with this. Didn't he promise to pass this by Memorial Day? And then he said 4th of July, and then we find out through the summer and the terrible dismount from Afghanistan, which we'll discuss. You did this great interview with the ambassador. Uh, now all of a sudden the president said, I'm going to go sell it to the people. But right now with independence, he's upside down. And, of course, with Republicans, and he's lost a few points with Democrats on this whole, not the bipartisan bill, but the other one. The, the, it's not just the public poll. I mean, the, the private polling has um, fallen Substantially, and, and the thing that they're most concerned about is he's still holding strong among Democrats, but it's his loss of support among independents. It's really, really substantial. It's a double-digit loss of support among independents. And yes, it, it, you know, the narrative after the 2018 midterms uh, was sort of claimed by the progressives that it was a you know the, the progressive energy that drove the Democratic gains, but even a cursory analysis of what actually happened in 2018 uh, shows you that it was actually fairly centrist Democrats in pro-Trump districts winning among independent voters. So the fall among independent voters is really, really serious. And for any Democrat running in 2022 and their political consultants, that's the metric that they're probably most worried about at this point. You know, it's amazing, Jonathan, you know, it's, I don't think Donald Trump really said I was ever a uniter. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, come with me or get ridiculed. Uh, Joe Biden did run on that. But it's Joe Manchin that sounds more like the uniter. And if you look at just his actions, even listen to him yesterday, cut seven. Schumer has ruled out using reconciliation. Well, they shouldn't rule out anything. We just can't let the debt ceiling elapse. We just can't. We can prevent de- default. We really can prevent. And there's a way to do that. And there's a couple other tools we have that we can use. Takes a little bit of time, a little bit of it's going to be a little bit of pain, long you know, voteramas, this and that. Do what you have to do, but we cannot. And I want people to know, we will not let this country default. And uh, and then supposedly you saw the tone Joe Biden had the other day. Get out of the way was his answer. 
Why is it that Joe Manchin sounds more of a statesman? And I'm not sure that could resonate in America today, but I tell you, it was certainly a relief to hear somebody say, I don't know if you met me, but I'm not a liberal. I'm a moderate. Why do you expect me to act different now? That's what I thought the president would be saying. He's not. He's siding with the left wing of his party. Well, look, on this issue of the debt, of raising the debt limit, I, I don't know that it's a, sort of a, a fair, fair to kind of say that Joe Biden's stance of get out of the way he said it. aligns him with the left. No, no, I know he said it. I, I, I mean, you're raising the, the country's debt limit. I don't know that that's, uh, you know, we've done it under presidents of both parties. And obviously Mitch McConnell's decided that he's, you know, going to keep his conference together and not support raising the debt limit. I, I just think that there are things that it's fair to ding Joe Biden on in terms of siding with the left. I just don't know that this is the, the issue. How about this? This is Joe Biden as senator. Here's Grover Nor- Norquist. Cut nine. Well, if he's talking about raising the debt ceiling, Mr. Biden four times voted against raising the debt ceiling and insisted uh, in 84 and in uh, 2003 and 2004 and 2006 that the Republicans do it themselves, which is exactly what the Republicans are telling Democrats now. Does he not realize we had VCRs back then? We're able to hold on to tapes <laughs> if you kept him in air conditioning? I mean, come on. You get out of the way. <laughs> Touche, touche. <laughs> right. So I'm just saying, like, there's go out of your way. You have to you wait till noon on Monday. Let's set the tone just as, uh, just as uh, cantankerously as you ended the weekend. So I'm thinking to myself, if someone could change the tone, wouldn't it be a 78-year-old guy who's known or ran as a moderate? And I just continuously and, and somewhat surprised that he just doesn't seem to grab that opportunity. But uh, over the weekend, I'm just fascinated by, too, something else I think you would find scary are these protesters that are going after the lawmakers who are doing things that they don't like. And if you saw Kristen Cinema trying to teach at ASU, listen to this in a bathroom, cut 11. We need a Build Back Better plan right now. We, we're not going to We need solutions to the Build Back Better plan. We have the solutions that we need. We knocked on doors for you to get you elected. And just how we got you elected, we can get you out of office if you don't support what you promised us. So it's a two-camera shoot in the bathroom. I've, I've had a lot of two-camera shoots. I know with HBO now. But I'd rather not have one in the bathroom. I do get worried about people, people's personal safety. I have people writing me today saying who are, in, who are cops that saying legal, that she needs, to be, she needs to get security right away. Well, I was going to say, isn't it illegal to film someone in the bathroom without the That's what people were saying, and I haven't followed up on that, but I did hear that. I mean, I I would think that there is some uh, sanction for doing that. I mean, you're filming someone against their permission in the bathroom. Uh, Yeah, I mean. It's crazy. But I mean, I mean, these are Democrats, too. I mean, these are Democrats not having the way Democrats are acting. So... Uh, when a Harold Ford said last week that why doesn't the president ch- and he's a Democrat why doesn't the president take the win? Why didn't he take the win? He had but the win. But what is the win, Brian? He doesn't have the votes for the win. Like what is the win? The progressives, to, to their credit, the progressives are holding tight. They're holding strong. Um, people thought that Pelosi would be able to muscle over them and Biden, but they haven't been able to. And actually, they're really uh, cohesive and are saying no, we're not going to vote for the um, bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, unless you pass uh, the social spending bill. So Biden doesn't have the votes. 
Uh, it's really simple. Do you believe if he was able to use Clyburn and Pelosi to talk to the left, how we're going to bring this up separately at nope. a different time, that he would have nope. been able to do it? Nope. I think that they. I think. I think that the left is united and cohesive in a way that we haven't seen before. And it's not the old, you know, people assume that they were just going to crumble under pressure from Pelosi. And I just think it, we're dealing with a different group than they've been in the past. They're much more uh, cohesive and, 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 you know, determined, frankly. So here's what Ro Kahana said, who's also, I would put him on the left, right? Listen to it. Ron never said that to me, but they never said that we have to vote for the infrastructure bill. And what I heard directly from the president is he wants both bills. So he said that he was never asked, nobody was ever asked to drop the decoupling. Yeah, I mean, so Ro Khan, I would probably put among the, like, he's going to vote for whatever is decided among the group. Yes, he's in the progressive caucus, but he's not at the hard edge of determining uh, the strategy of linking the two together come hell or high water. So, yes, true. And and sure, we don't know the counterfactual because they didn't really lean in and use all the pressure. So I I agree. I I fully concede that point. I just, based on what I understand from talking to some of these progressives, I just don't think that they're budgeable um, on that basic demand of, of linking the two bills. So I want you, you did a great interview with the Afghan ambassador who does not want to leave her post because she represents a government when she was there. That government's been uh, tossed out. Gahani went, uh, went to another country. Now the Taliban's in charge. You talked to Adela Raz on Axios. Here's a little of that interview, cut 33. Do you still trust the United States? No. Sorry. I, I, I mm. trust and believe the people. I mean, I've lost some trust. In, in the U.S. policies, and I think probably government policies, including my own leadership in government policies. And I'm reflecting and saying how effective I was or I wasn't. Do you still think of America as the leader of the free world? If you talk about democracy, I probably will question it and laugh at it. Great interview. She was so honest and emotional. What was it like for you? How do you characterize it? I found it really hard, Brian, just um, listening to her because she's someone who, look, for her, the Taliban coming back into power is not something that's theoretical. She she lived through it, you know, before. She's 35 years old, so she was a young girl when the Taliban came into power in the 90s, and she was sent home from school, wasn't able to go to school. Then, you know, the U.S. comes in and, uh, you know, she gets an education, she goes to the U.S., uh, to for college, she becomes the first female um, Afghan ambassador to the United Nations. You know, some people view her as a potential leader of the country. And in the you know in the space of a very short period of time, she's watched her country disappear. Um, and probably the, the the most brutal part of the interview is I, I said to her because Biden has been saying um, repeatedly, you know, we're going to speak out for the rights of Afghan women and girls. And I quoted that to her. And you could see the anger, you know, there because she said, well, what does that actually mean? Because all of this has been destroyed and the Taliban's back in, women are being sent home. And I said to her, do you think Joe Biden cares about the fate of Afghan women? And she just bluntly said no. Um, she was also very harsh about her own leadership. She, she didn't let Ghani off the hook. She said that he betrayed the country by secretly escaping. He needs to face the Afghan people. But 
it was like talking to someone who's really profoundly feels broken, just feels like there's no hope left and, and that she may be, she's contemplating the idea that she may be Afghan's last female ambassador. Uh, for someone who's worked her whole life for the empowerment of women, um, she finds, you know, understandably a a very bitter pill to swallow. Jonathan, absolutely. It was great booking too. And I will say that I'm, uh, I've never been to Afghanistan and I've never, I can't imagine what it's like being a citizen, seeing all these rights go away, seeing these people being hunted down, Americans left behind and, and knowing you really were, are helpless and finally, did what do you think about the fact that Biden won't meet with her? Well, so she interprets that. So, so, so it's not just Biden that won't meet with her. It, it, it's no one from his administration. She, she's um, sent emails. Her office sent emails to the State Department, the Pentagon. They scheduled meetings, then they both canceled within hours of each other. So her interpretation was that they don't want to upset the Taliban Amazing. by legitimizing her. She's keeping the embassy open, but she's basically stateless. The, the Biden administration won't deal with her. And she won't deal with the Taliban. Unbelievable. Uh, congratulations. Um, you, uh, you on HBO won the, uh, won the news and documentary Emory Award for outstanding edited interview with this President Donald J. Trump. Great job, Jonathan. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls. And then we'll talk to John Anarelli and FBI Cyber Division about what's going on with Facebook and the big hack yesterday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Not playing the NBA. <laughs> It was a tough decision. The only options was to get vaccinated or not play in the NBA. <laughs> um, it was a tough decision. Hopefully, you know, it works out in the long run. Ten years, I'm so healthy. <laughs> it feels good to, to play, but, you know, getting vaccinated, that's going to be something that, you know, stays in my mind for a long time. Um, that's something I wanted to do. But I'm forced to Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors, he couldn't play home games in California, so he wanted to go and couldn't play, uh, I, I don't think, with the, against Clippers, against the, uh, who else do we have in California? The, the Lakers, obviously, couldn't play and couldn't play in New York, so he said, the heck with it, I'm going to go get vaccinated. But that's pretty much mandate mania, which we are discussing. And the NBA is the big one because with football, it's outdoors. So if you're not vaccinated, you have all these protocols. Like last night, people said the roof was closed in Los Angeles, but the sides were open. It's crazy, I know. And they were able to play last night if you weren't vaccinated. But what they do is if you do test positive and it goes through the team and you have to forfeit, you'll actually forfeit the game. They're not going to reschedule. If you have to miss games, I don't think you get paid. So the union will stand up for you. But you still have to deal with it and with the whole testing protocol and you can't hang out in the locker room and all this other stuff. So I do not know what Kyrie Irving's going to do in with the Nets. Because with the Nets in New York, in Brooklyn, he can't play 50% of the games. I don't know. They're not going to be able to keep him. And he's not going to get paid half the salary. Dorm Report next. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The more you listen... 
The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. As a former federal prosecutor who prosecuted national security cases and a former federal public defender, I'm intimately familiar with federal indictments, especially ones that we talk about today. The John Durham indictment against Michael Sussman for lying to the FBI is normally an indictment that is about two to three pages long at max. A 27-page indictment is reserved for those mob-style conspiracy cases or large-scale fraud cases that the Department of Justice brings. That is Cash Patel, who was uh, part of the Trump administration and was able to talk to Maria on Sunday about the Durham probe. With everything going on, I understand it's easy to look past this because it seems like a past administration. But I believe that we have to unwind what took place and what didn't take place. I don't care if you're the biggest Trump supporter. Uh, If there's nothing really that went on here and there's nothing there, I want to find out about it. And John Durham seems to be finding out a lot. We're not paying enough attention to it. But we're finding out a lot. Now, Michael Sussman, the average person, said, who's, who's that? Why does that matter? You know, this cyber guy that got caught. Well, what's the big deal? Is that all you got? There's more than that. And for people that know, they see a lot here and a lot developing. John Honorelli is retired from the FBI for more than 20 years, was a member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division, a member of the FBI SWAT team who participated in the investigation of the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, and, John, uh, welcome back. Appreciate you joining me. How do you unwind this investigation from where we're at right now? Brian, thanks for having me. I see this as first steps. First of all, people are talking about, is this all you've come up with after two years? Well, let me tell you, these investigations are complicated. They take time. The FBI in working such investigations could be five years before we'd have an indictment along this line. The fact that we're seeing this in two years, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I think there'll be a lot more that comes out of it afterwards. This is the first step. So it's the first step. But what you see is Michael Sussman. He did not tell the truth to the FBI. He walked in. So, so John, if you get a knock on the door and it's Michael Sussman, and he goes, listen, I'm seeing some shady things going on with this president-elect. He's got some links to the Trump Organization to a Russian bank. Here's what you got. Do you just accept that? Or do you have to look and see with this guy, Michael Sussman, who he might be linked to? I'm shocked to find out it took John Durham to find out that he's linked to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Could you can you bring me through the FBI mindset? Sure. So, first of all, the charge of lying to an FBI agent, generally, that is when the FBI comes to you interviewing you because we're investigating a crime and you wind up lying about it. It's rare to get a person that will come to the FBI and purposely bring false information. Usually there's something far more nefarious at foot for a person to do that. Now, Dora may have recognized that the lying had taken place and knew this earlier on in the process of the investigation, but there may be other factors. They don't want to tip off other people that you want to trap them into statements to make sure that they say what they say, you document it, and then later on you can come back to them if they in fact lied to you. You don't want to tip your hand too early. So the fact that this is coming out now is not unusual. But here's the question for me, that is, at what point did the FBI figure out that this individual was lying? Because we had this ongoing Russian investigation, which literally impacted politics, the way the president's office worked, et cetera. And we're seeing now that all of this was based on a lie for somebody working for the opponent. Right. 
So you're saying that if I'm coming forward, you don't want to freak me out by looking into my background saying, what are you up to? Because you need my information. But if it's just is a, a, you know, a guy comes in, he's got his suit on, you know, we might, you might be known out in Washington. Why wouldn't you say, well, does he have a, does he have a, uh, does he have a horse in this race? I mean, we're, why would he be coming forward with this? Just a good citizen? Did he witness a crime? And he's just coming forward with this? Jim Baker says, I barely remember the meeting. Is that possible to barely remember a meeting when you're coming in with information about a ties of a president to a Russian bank? Well, a couple of things there. First of all, yes, I took a lot of meetings, and it's hard for me to recall certain things, but every meeting I took is documented. And therefore, there's ways to go back and refresh my recollection on the meeting. So not remembering the meeting is one thing. Not having documentation about the meeting is a totally separate so that he would, in fact, know about this. The FBI is supposed to take everything sort of with a a gilded look at it to make sure that is the person telling the truth. I had people bring information to me all the time. Everybody has an agenda. Sometimes the agenda is to do good things. Other times is the agenda is to try to hurt somebody. And the FBI is responsible for making sure the information is legitimate. Again, the question is, did they just take this on face value because they love the target? Or did somebody take a hard look at this and decide this isn't right? Either way, that needs to come out as part of the Durham investigation. Okay, so this is what we have. Do you believe Sussman led to the cyber indictment? Well, clearly the information that Sussman brought forward uh, set the wheels in motion. If Sussman had not stepped up or if Sussman had come forward with the allegations but made it clear that he was working for the Democratic campaign. No, I'm sorry. I'll I'll phrase it differently. After Durham does the indictment and they bring in Sussman, says you're indicted and you, you get him arraigned. Does that does what happened after that lead to more information just because Sussman now knows he's going to he's under scrutiny and he's got to fight for his freedom? And do you or do you think they knew the second indictment was coming? They're just building a case. I, I think, Brian, they're not only building a case. I think there's other people that are probably cooperating at this point, especially knowing about Sussman. There was a whole host of individuals within the FBI themselves, Peter Streck, Lisa Page, those persons who could be facing ramifications from all this. And I would be very surprised if people such as themselves, perhaps, are not working quietly behind the scenes to try to better their position by providing information to the Durham investigation. A couple of things. So Hillary Clinton's in trouble. 2016, her emails are exposed. John Podesta is hacked. It's coming out. They believe the Russians are behind it. Let's just not uh, let's just say they are. It doesn't matter. They have to get people's uh, focus off her emails. So the theory is that might be building here is let's create a Russian Trump link. And it worked. Next thing you know, there's a huge side story of Russia. And then when Trump wins, it it overwhelms his presidency for three years. Here's what Cash Patel says he believes is unwinding now. Cut 41. And what I believe John Durham is doing and what I did in my practice as a prosecutor is lay out a speaking indictment so that the American public can begin to understand what the corruption was and who exactly was involved. I know you played James Comey soundbite at the top of the show here talking about 
um, you know, he's written, he's investigating the collusion links. What he should have been investigating was the collusion links between the Democratic Party, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and uh, the DNC to funnel this information into the FBI, fraudulently so, and now it's coming to light. And thanks to your reporting over the years, America's finally starting to see the truth of what happened behind this indictment. I didn't even know what the, a talking indictment was. Well, I think Cash Patel hit the nail on the head with the fact that, again, it appears, at least initially, the FBI took the information from Sussman on face value. And if anybody scrutinized it, well, then they're guilty of having ignored the facts for political purposes. And yet they ignored the other side of it. The fact that, uh, remember the whole issue of Comey coming out and making announcements that we're not going to proceed in the Hillary investigation of the emails, et cetera. All of the Trump investigation with Russia appears to be a giant political red herring. And beyond affecting the presidency, it was never supposed to be a presidency. With this investigation, the presumption was, well, Trump's never going to get in office, et cetera. But it crippled him in many ways for years. So I think there's other people that you're going to see be indicted. Sussman is perhaps just the beginning here. We've already had another attorney from the FBI who was uh, removed from their job because of things they did in this case. I think we're going to see more down the road, Brian. You do. Um, And do you think Durham knows what he's building here? For example, is he educating the American public from what he's doing? What would be the advantage of doing it slowly as opposed to, here's my nine people, uh, get one, come one, come all. Is there a P, is there a PR aspect to these indictments? Like every legal case, you're not going to advertise in the public for a lot of reasons. First of all, there may be future evidence that you want to gather. You don't want to tip your hand. You don't want to give somebody an opportunity to remove, destroy evidence, etc. Likewise, there may be people that Durham does not know about, but those people don't know that Durham doesn't know about them. And they may very well decide to come forward thinking, well, the FBI is looking at me. This investigation is looking at me. I'm going to try to cut myself a deal. And many times that happens in the course of these investigations. I've had people say, look, I know you've been watching me. I know you're tapping my phones. And I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy? But that's what paranoia can do. And guilty people tend to feel paranoid. And that's the advantage of keeping this quiet. Great. And uh, what I'll do is, if it's okay, I'll keep you on speed dial. We'll talk about this as it unwinds. John Annarelli, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. You too. Uh, When we come back, Barney and company. I join them live. We share audiences. I'm sharing you. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. I'm just fascinated with all the things going on right now. You got that Facebook whistleblower who is now uh, in front of the Senate committee uh, giving her story. And this uh, Senate committee was looking at Facebook anyway. And Senator Blumenthal and Senator Blackburn, both obviously separate parties, are just as... um, 
are just determined to find the, to rein them in. But let's listen to Stuart Vaughan right now. he is right now. Brian, as you know this, the largest private health care provider in New York, Northwell Health, has fired 1,400 employees because they refused to get the jab. Where do you stand on this? I say, get, I say, I say, get the get the vaccinated, but no to a mandate. Where are you coming from? Well, number one, um, the way I feel is I'm outraged by it. Number one, these are healthcare workers who've already been through so much over the last two years. Number three, you're about 95% vaccinated. You're there. Same thing with the schools. You're there. You, you know, we have herd immunity. We got natural immunity from people that have had it already. Enough. Why are you continuing to polarize the country? There's some really good reasons why people don't get the flu shot. They get inoculated. They hear some stories about perhaps they have underlying conditions. They hear some stories about 17-year-olds with uh, the swelling of the heart or fluid around the heart. They don't want any part of it. Regardless, you fire them. You tell them to go get another job, 1,400 strong. They're making decisions for themselves. And look around. This Delta variant is stopping. It is falling off a cliff, just like... Israel, just like the UK. It is just in the upper northwest right now in this country. We have turned the corner on it. Let the American people live their lives. Stop firing them. Stop getting in their business. Stop telling them what to do. Well, thousands of unvaccinated New York City school employees, they've been placed on unpaid leave. Mayor de Blasio says he's got 9,000 substitute teachers who have been vaccinated. They're going to fill the gaps. But when this kind of thing is going on, What's your judgment of the state of play of education in New York City schools? I, I was struck. You know, there's been 480 deaths from kids uh, since this started. 480 too many, I get it. But do you know statistically, if you compare it to the flu, drowning, car accidents, or any accidents living their lives, it's, uh, they are way above the number of people that kids have lost their lives due to COVID-19. And I'm sure if you examine those numbers, mm. there's underlying conditions. It doesn't even add up. If you're looking to do a statistical chart, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to get a bar graph small enough. So what we're doing is separating kids, putting them in plexiglass, putting them in masks, telling the teachers they got to get vaccinated in order to protect them from what? Freedom and a balanced childhood? I mean, what are we doing? I have a problem. If these teachers stayed out of school for a year because they were worried, and now when they told to go get a shot, they won't do it, you can't have it both ways. But, mm. my goodness, they're already 95% there. There's a, very, there's a lot because the school system's huge. Handful of principals, a lot of cafeteria workers, other workers in and around the schools, and teachers. Yep. They're the ones who go get, uh, have to go get another job now or are laid off without pay. Can we stop traumatizing kids yeah. again? Please, you know please. subs don't know what they're doing for the most part. They come in and try to grab a class to keep the, something going. These teachers barely have any time to get these kids on track well, yet. There's plenty of outrage out there, plenty of outrage to go around. And then there's this. I'm sure you've seen this, Brian. Activists confronted Senator Kristen Sinema again at an airport and then on a plane. The president says these protests are all part of the process. I mean, I'm outraged at that. Yeah, uh, I'm stunned that the president got that question from Peter. And I thought, OK, this is a question he can handle and just express outrage and concern. Instead, he says, well, that basically comes with the comes with the landscape if you don't have Secret Service. Really? When's the last time you were harassed outside a bathroom stall while you're teaching a class when you want to get a short break? When's the last time you were locked in an airplane with someone screaming at you, demanding you vote a certain way? 
uh, and you have nowhere to go, and then you get off a plane, you're on a phone call being screamed at. That's not par for the course. I'm really concerned between Manchin, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham. I'm really concerned that the president doesn't get it and that we're getting out of control. You're in a kayak harassing Joe Manchin's houseboat on a weekend? I mean, how empty is your life, number All one? All we can hope for is that it backfires against the people stop who are doing these dreadful Stop the stalking, stop the harassing. Yes, stop it now. Brian, I'm out of time, unfortunately, but I could go on for a long time if I had to. Thanks for being with us, Brian. All right, see, see you in the soon. halls. You, yeah, we will. Okay. one 408 I'll get some of your calls. But just uh, finishing up what we were saying before, we were talking about the Durham report. I'm not going to drop the ball there. I'm also not going to drop the ball in Afghanistan. While stay, staying with what we've got, which were to the hottest issues of the day, one of which we did not discuss is the attorney general is asking the FBI to look into some of these parents that are protesting in front of their school boards because they said this could get ugly and could end up being harassment or being terroristic uh, and label some of the parents as domestic, domestic terrorists. To me, I'm outraged by that. Glenn Youngkin was on primetime last night. He's the Virginia gubernatorial nominee. Cut 48. Loudoun County was ground zero as parents stood up for their children. Open our schools. Stop teaching them what to think and teach them how to think. And by the way, if there's sexually explicit materials in the in the library, in the curriculum, we deserve to know. And my opponent, Terry McAuliffe, stood up last week and he said the truth, that he believes parents have no right in their children's education. Well, I say that's not right. That is not right. Parents absolutely have primacy in their children's education. And oh, by the way, Virginia law says so. And Virginians are rejecting Terry McAuliffe. We're standing up together for our children. This is no longer a campaign. It is a movement, and Virginia parents are on the move. And what, ha- what happened is uh, he's responding to the fact that now the FBI and the attorney general uh, impetus and his push is looking into this? Are you kidding me? The FBI is now going to get involved in school boards? Look, if there's threats going on and you, people are trying to rush the school board, absolutely. I'm, I'm obviously against that. I would hope everybody's against that. But keep in mind that if you're going to start looking at these parents as terrorists and start using them as, I don't know, the way you treat the January 6 people that went into the Capitol building, I got a huge problem with that. That means intimidating parents to stay home and stay out of the curriculum, which is exactly what people like Terry McAuliffe and I imagine Merrick Garland are, which makes me wonder, what kind of Supreme Court justice would Merrick Garland have been if he's fallen victim to all these political games like this, using the FBI as a weapon for, in my view, a political purpose? You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, excited Sandra Smith's going to be in studio. Excited for it to see anyone. As Sandra Smith, of course, getting set to host her show, America Reports, from 1 to 3 with John Roberts. The President of the United States is going to be heading out to Michigan. He has his brainstorm. He thought he should start selling 
the ridiculous $3.5 trillion package that most of the two major members of his party uh, don't sign on to. And many moderates in the House don't believe we need. And I'm one of them that thinks it's way too much. Uh, I don't think we need $1 more. $1.2 trillion in bipartisan uh, infrastructure spending is something I think that's more traditional. At least both sides get something. And there is a reason why Democrats won the election. They deserve to get more. I get it. I understand it. But they got slight leads. They can't be expected to get $3.5 trillion, and they're not. But what has happened over the last few days totals, says a total lack of planning, a lack of tactics. Now they're going to sell something they could have been selling since last spring. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Making this forced mandated, essentially what it's done is breed distrust in public health. The movement that was against vaccines was a tiny fringe movement before this. By these coercive measures, they've taken that movement and turned it into a much larger movement. It's actually damaging to the public health. Uh, that is true, and that's Dr. Jay Bhattachara. He's on Laura Ingram last night, and he's talking about the mandate mania. I just spoke on this on FBN with Stuart Varney. The government, large and small, making demands on employers, on teachers, uh, on workers, do you, uh, military members. Go ahead and get vaccinated or lose your job and leave. Does anyone know the reality? The Delta variant is dying, going down on every single measure, from hospitalizations to deaths to actual cases. Can we be can we take 75% for an answer please vaccinated? Number 2. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. TL Adams, Senator Cinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. The only people it doesn't happen to are people who have secret service standing around them. Right. I know the process. Yeah, I know so many times I get out of the stall and there's four people taping me. Uh, that happens so often. Oh, yeah, on a plane being yelled at for a two-hour, what is it, three-and-a-half-hour flight from Arizona? That doesn't really happen. I shouldn't be expected to tolerate that because I'm a lawmaker. And when I go walking through an airport to be berated, by the way, by liberal Democrats, they're debating a, uh, actually yelling at a moderate Democrat. This is insane. Who's talking on the phone? Number one. Why let McConnell off the hook or Republicans off the hook? This is their debt that they chalked up themselves. This is a period of time where we could easily solve this in the next two days uh, and easily do that through allowing Democrats to be the adults in the room, despite the fact that Republicans spent like drunken sailors over the last four years. Oh, that's nice. Uh, play a little politics. That'll certainly get it done. Not going to do it. That's what Mitch McConnell says to Joe Biden about agreeing to raise the debt ceiling. He won't do it. He says, you've been doing everything party only uh, with your party only. Finish the job. So what the comeback was for Joe Biden is anger. He's very angry at Republicans. He says, you, know, you should be better than that. And if you're not going to be better than that, get out of the way. Cut to. The reason we have to raise the debt limit is in part because of the reckless tax and spending policies under the previous Trump administration. In four years, they incurred, they incurred nearly $8 trillion. In four years, $8 trillion in additional debt. And bills we have to now pay off. That's more than a quarter of the entire debt incurred now outstanding after more than 200 years. Okay. The debt got ratcheted up at the end because of this thing called the pandemic. 
That's the only reason you won President Biden, because I think Donald Trump made some major mistakes there. But one thing he didn't do, he didn't make a mistake when it came to putting Operation Warp Speed into play and getting you a vaccine to look like a hero. So you have a rebuilt economy. You don't need $3.5 trillion, and you shouldn't even need to raise the debt ceiling. And you could have used that as leverage if you would just drop the 3.5, went with the 1.2, and got yourself a win and cut the deal using some leverage with Mitch McConnell to drop the other one. And then you go back on a simple party line vote. You try to convince Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema the same thing you're trying to do now, to vote for something they say we don't need but to help you out, of course, hurts us. The problem with Joe Biden's statement and his outrage, it's phony. It doesn't work with the facts. Grover Norquist, he writes for the, he's uh, the president of the American for Tax Reform. Of course, he doesn't want any debt ceiling raised. Never does. He thinks conservatives spend too much. And there's an argument there with the Trump administration. But what he did is kept gas prices extremely low, kept prices extremely low. He got jobs, man. We were up 3 4% unemployment. Uh, we had, in terms of our workforce, we're getting closer to 70 than 60. That's not where we're at right now. We were on a roll. We we're about to cut phase one of a trade deal with China. Who knows how it would have went? But right now, they're not even honoring it. Cut, a fake, uh, cut three or four trade deals, including redoing NAFTA, USMCA now, redoing no one with Japan, much better to our advantage, about to go in on Europe until the pandemic hit. But as Grover Norquist pointed out, the, the budget wasn't balanced then. But you never wanted to do the debt ceiling. Cut nine. Well, if he's talking about raising the debt ceiling, Mr. Biden four times voted against raising the debt ceiling and insisted uh, in 84 and in uh, 2003 and 2004 and 2006 that the Republicans do it themselves, which is exactly what the Republicans are telling Democrats now. He must think we have a bad memory. Uh, This is written down. This was in the newspapers. The Democrats have the power to raise the debt ceiling tomorrow morning if they want to. 84, 2003, 2004, 2006, as senator, he voted not to raise the debt ceiling, told Republicans to do it themselves. Now says, wow, how dare you make us do it ourselves? Do it yourself. You act like you have this huge majority. You do have a majority, so go do it yourself. Tell Kamala Harris to come back from Palm Springs, stop the speed walking, and come back. I mean, we know you're not focused on the border. We know you're not focused on Afghanistan. And you got an epic fail over the weekend, which the Sunday shows they felt bad for them. They had nothing to cover except Chris Wallace, who would cover things honestly. Here's what Steve Hayes said last night. You know, he co-founded the Dispatch, was on with Brett Baer. Cut 10. You had Ro Khanna, representative, progressive representative from California, on Fox News Sunday yesterday with Chris, say, in effect, that the White House isn't lobbying to get progressives on board with this infrastructure bill. He didn't go so far as to say the White House was actively blocking it, but he basically said, yeah, they've told us we can hang tight. It's a pretty interesting moment when you have a White House not in support of its own bill, particularly when it goes against promises that have been made by the Speaker of the House and by uh, White House senior White House officials themselves. Unbelievable, right? Uh, I'll take your calls, one 408 when we got back. But you see the uh, the emotions are high. It's at your barbecue. I know when you go to your bars, you go to your restaurants, you watch your kids' sports, wherever it is, people are emotionally involved and invested, outraged about, even if you're a Biden supporter, you've got to be frustrated. This guy's a moderate. Now he's kiss-upping, kiss kiss, uh, kissing up to the left wing of his party, abandoning the moderates, who said flat out, I'm— the Problem Solvers Caucus said we're, we're totally feel abandoned. 
and lied to. September 27th, we're going to get a vote on the $1.2 trillion. Didn't happen. September 29th, October 1st, didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. Nancy Pelosi, uh, on Wednesday, we're going to get a vote by Thursday night. Didn't happen. Friday night, I'm confident we're going to get a vote. Didn't happen. So who do you blame? Another Democrat, Kristen Sinema. And I started reading about her. The senator from Arizona didn't even want to be a Democrat. She's more of an independent who used the apparatus of the Democratic Party to flip a seat. Is the reason why they had the majority. Mark Kelly technically has McCain's seat. This guy's invisible. He's too afraid to do anything. That guy's susceptible. You have to have a conservative run against him. What Kristen Sinema says is, yeah, I'm, I represent a purple state, if not a red state. I have no interest in spending money that we don't have to this level, to social programs that I don't believe we can afford in a free market economy. She goes to 1.2. I worked on that. I was with Joe Manchin. I was with Senator Cassidy. I worked on that with, with the uh, others, uh, Susan Collins, to get this done. And now everything we negotiated out, you put in this other bill to the 10th power. So in turn, what is, how does she get rewarded? Listen to this. Harassed going to the bathroom at Arizona State University by people that shouldn't even be in the building. Cut 11. We need a Build Back Better plan right now. We, we knocked on doors. We need solutions. The Build Back Better plan need has the solutions that we need. We knocked on doors. Same you. thing happened on the plane. Same thing happened when you, in the airport yesterday. Newt Gingrich says, you know what? People are getting fed up, and it's embarrassing to the Democratic Party. You know what's embarrassing? The President of the United States not showing outrage about this. Instead, he hedged on this question, said it's basically par for the course. If you have Secret Service, it doesn't happen. Everybody else does. No, it isn't. When Lindsey Graham got attacked in the D.C. airport, then again when he landed in South Carolina, do you know who they were attacking? They were Trump supporters, I believe, attacking him. Uh, I'm, I could be mistaken on that. But you know who called him? The president. Asked him if he's all right, if he needs any help. He said, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm used to this. Here's Newt Gingrich, cut 16. In the case of cinema, she's shown very tough, very calm, uh, very much just being her own person. And frankly, they can't pressure her very much. I mean, she's been elected in a state which, which elects Mavericks. It elect Barry Goldwater. It elected John McCain. She's perfectly in that kind of a tradition. But the big government socialists are desperate. And that's what you're seeing is a desperation, which I think the rest of the country is beginning to react to. And that's why you're getting these chants in football stadiums and at Talladega. The, the average American is fed up with being browbeaten by a bunch of crazy left-wing radicals. And it figures into the other talking point I have today that we chose, and that is the, the mandate mania. Uh, you know, you want to get a vaccine, your company wants you to make you get a vaccine, but all of a sudden the president of the United States, your local mayor, your governor decides, oh, teachers are going to get a vaccine. The president decides, oh, the military is going to get a vaccine. And next thing you know, over 100 people, you're going to get a vaccine. Hospital workers are going to get a vaccine. You say to yourself, do I have any free will here? And it already trickled down to athletes who were lauded for standing up for social justice just a year ago. Remember that? Playing in the bubble in Orlando, Black Lives Matter, uh, the NFL, put something, uh, put some type of social justice term, if you want, on the back of your helmet or on the back of your shoes. Remember that? Well, now the NBA player is going, I don't want to get vaccinated. And they're saying, well, the state says you can't play. Jonathan Isaac's in that situation. Uh, he actually weighed in on this. And he sees a trend that doesn't make him feel very comfortable. Uh, here's cut 
19. I believe that we're entering a period of time where the government is setting a precedent that, in light of any emergency, um, your personal autonomy, your religious freedom, and honestly, your freedom as a whole becomes negotiable um, and to, to, the, to whoever's in power or whoever agrees with the people in power. Listen, I'd be saying the same thing if Trump was saying it or Bush was saying it or Obama was saying it. It is just, I think he's looking at the categories of the major issues in our country. And he said, the thing I do best at, I'm over 50% at, is handling this coronavirus. And the left wing thinks everyone should get a vaccine because he's president. So how do I continue to let people know I'm engaged? Make another speech about a booster. Make some more demands about mandates. Continue to say, come on, guys, uh, don't be selfish. 75% of you have gotten a shot, but I think you want more. And I'm going to stop you from working because of it. 1,400 people in New York at the Northwell, the largest employee of medical personnel in the country, 1,400 lost their jobs yesterday. Thousands of teachers were told, don't come to work. You're not going to get paid, but you're not fired because you have a union. When we come back, your thoughts. Many of you don't agree with me. 1-866-408-7669. But that makes the show better. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Facebook and Instagram were hit by a massive outage and stopped working for millions of users. Facebook was only down for a day, and in that short time, everyone got the vaccine. It was so bad that the only way Facebook could let the world know what was going on, and this is true, was by posting a message on Twitter. So that was something that was actually funny. Those are the old days on late night television, right? Because it was something sort of apolitical, right? I feel like if it was a joke about Biden, they are incapable of making it. Right. Evidently, I got to get to the bottom of this. Hannity's having some war with Jimmy Kimmel. And I saw the end of Hannity last night and he was saying, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, make sure you don't, you know, you know what you're getting into. I hit back 10 times as hard and I got a lot of tape on you. And I'm thinking to myself, What's going on here? So I got to look into that. Uh, it's going to be fought on television. Yeah, I they've believe. done that before, though. They've gone back and forth. It right. Was a while I think ago. Jimmy Kimmel kind of stumbled into it. But I think on this, he sees Gutfeld killing it, and he knows he lost the whole audience. So if, even at the very little bit, how does he get people to sample back, go reach back, get this this big success story, and get him to punch me? So maybe they sample. Do you think that could he be that desperate, or I is mean, most of his revenue driven online? With clips, and it's not a big deal. I feel like Kimmel's not as big online as, like, um, James Corden or Fallon. But, I mean, that would be a little, um, I mean, conspiratorial might be a strong word, but maybe desperate on Kimmel's part. I feel like Hannity and Kimmel always just want to go at each other a little bit. Do you want to I think Kimmel got so burned because he started showing stuff in the man show. Mm -hmm. And they know that's all that stuff's politically incorrect now. You see all these comedians apologizing. I think... I actually think Eddie Murphy apologized for stuff that he said, which is unbelievable to me. Kevin Hart said, listen, what I did, I did. So now Jimmy Kimmel wants to put that behind him, grows a beard, loses some weight, uh, doesn't hop on trampolines anymore, wants to be an Emmy, uh, uh, wants to be an Emmy uh, host. It doesn't help to see the man show because that stuff was basically on Spike TV, which has been spiked. 
it's risque in every day. And that's what made it successful. Either he owns up to it and said, yeah, that was back then. But little by little, it'll be a death by a million cuts. Possibly. Or is he just so big within that Hollywood bubble now that he'll be able to soar above it? No. No. He felt the pressure. Remember he going in blackface and he did that skit? He apologized. And that, that emerged. He took the summer off two summers ago. Remember? It was an interesting thing. It's like all of a sudden he had guest hosts because I think he thought they said just go away for a while. This is my opinion. Keep an eye on it. Uh, I know you're busy, though, with other stuff. Uh, Dominic, you're in Long Island. Hey, Dominic. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good to see you. Taking my call. What's going on? Uh, Love your show. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. Um, I am on Long Island. I am on a kidney transplant list through Northwell Health. Uh, I've been on it for three years now. Um, As of September 30th, they removed me from the list because I won't get vaccinated. Really? Um, I've had, yeah, I've had several congestive heart failures, and all the side effects of these vaccines are heart swelling, blood clots, stuff like that. And knock wood, I've had, I haven't gotten COVID, just by common sense. Um, but they took me off the list as September thirtieth. Well, I did not know that I, was even linked. And I, I am on three other transplant lists, lists in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and they have no requirements for a vaccine. Yeah, so New York is just, list. yeah, it's just unbelievable. Finding different ways to pressure you, even if somebody needs an organ. Unbelievable. Hang in there, Dominic. Uh, quick announcement I have to make, uh, and I'll get some calls right after I speak to Sandra Smith. Maybe we'll squeeze him in. I'll be in Charleston, West Virginia with the President Freedom Fighter Tour. Be able to go on stage and get tickets there November 7th. Uh, November 21st, Orlando, Florida. And then in Clearwater, Florida, December 4th, December 3rd, Ponte Vedra, a few tickets left. The President Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the battle to save America's soul. BrianKillMe.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fact that this whistleblower came forward to document and expose information about Facebook's unwillingness uh, to put safety, especially for young people, ahead of profits uh, gives us a reason to have a hearing tomorrow uh, in the Commerce Committee that will include the whistleblower. And so we can begin to explore how to protect people's privacy, especially young people who are experiencing damage. Senator Loomis of Wyoming uh, talking about the Facebook and the revelations on Sunday and the hearings that are going on right now. With me right now is Sandra Smith. She's getting host to her show from 1 to 3 Eastern Time, America Reports. Sandra, welcome back. Hi, Brian Kilmeade. Happy 25th Fox News anniversary. I know. 
Uh, everybody, those spots are great, aren't they? I love them. Yeah, I, I learned so much about my my own my own colleagues. I yeah. loved yours. Well, thanks. And I also think it's great that they have people that aren't normally on the air, like 100%. Scott Wilder and um, a, um, a hair and makeup manager that's yeah. been here for twenty five years, Erica Colon. Uh, yeah. I, I was amazed, but yeah, amazing stories from everybody. So, Sandra, when you did when you saw what's going on with Facebook and with the revelations now. They seem both Republicans and Democrats are determined to do something about the size and scope of Facebook and the dishonesty that seems to be coming forward with mm-hmm. this 35-year-old whistleblower who started, who left in May but took all these documents with him. You said something right before we came back or came on. Do young people even look at Facebook? No. But Instagram, yes. When it came to girls, you saw that study, right? Instagram. Which uh, Facebook bought. Twitter, uh, Snapchat. It, it, I, this is of keen interest to me because I have young kids and we haven't even gotten into that part of our lives yet. And I fear it the most. I mean, everybody with older kids, I'm always asking, like, what, what is your advice? And can you just keep them off of this stuff? Because at, at the end of the day, any company, public, private, certainly in the case of Facebook, their concern is profits, not your child. And they obviously know things. They know the toxic environment that is out there. That's not their business. That's not – and they may know it, and it might be unethical. It might not be the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, their goal is to make money. And it scares me. It scares me in the environment that's created out there. And what's that going to look like 10 years from now? So have these companies gotten too big? I mean, that's been a tough conversation for Republicans. I've had this conversation with Ken Buck from Colorado many, many times he says there's a lot of bipartisan support to go in and demand that there's a more competitive environment. These companies are eventually broken up. They've got too much control. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody looks at them and doesn't think that they're not controlling the world. I forgot who was interviewing on Friday that said, do you realize when Facebook decides to crack down after January 6th and take out Trump, they also took out Parler, the number one competitor, yeah, and said, oh, that well. you're being irresponsible? Mm-hmm. Wait a second, you got both. Yeah. You know, you, you, you got through Trump. You took advantage of the social media firestorm that he brought to you and interest in Facebook and Twitter. For example, how do you cover – you could not cover President Trump and not be, a, uh, not be a subscriber to Facebook and Twitter, right? So he brought a lot of interest to both those platforms. 100%. And when he's out the window, he goes out, and then they, they take out his number one competitor too, who has not been able to get any type of momentum since. So the question is, should they have ever allowed them to have bought Instagram? To begin with, should Google have it's bought a fair Snapchat? It's a fair question. But who's, who should answer that question? We have to ask ourselves that. And do you really want government to control the size that companies can get to? We are a capitalist society. We want to encourage competition. We want to encourage entrepreneurship. We want to encourage companies to, to grow. But how big is too big? And we have to ask ourselves that question. Right. I guess we're looking at that now. And uh, I was fascinated to see that 90% of Facebook subscribers are outside our borders. We only have 10% of the world's subscribers when it comes to Facebook. So that's why Europe Massive. was the first to crack down. China was the first to crack down. We go, really? You're going to let that happen? And then Europe said, yeah, you're <laughs> affecting our elections. And here I don't we like are. it. Yeah, and you're going <laughs> to let that happen. So uh, fascinating to see what goes on. We'll see what comes out of this. But I also think the minute you start saying to people, yeah, control your content. Yeah, we did. We took off Trump. Don't take off Trump, but control the content. Well, what do you want to control? Well, control Antifa. Okay, um, what about the Proud Boys? We'll get them off. Well, what do they do wrong? Exactly. So you, a lot of people are trying to have both sides of this. 
They want to have the free market, make it the Wild West. But then they say, isn't it irresponsible to let the Wild West take place, being that we can all be involved in the Wild West, not choose to be in the Wild West? We've all been involved in it. I, I, I think you can also, as the Supreme Court begins a new term, I think you can expect that those justices are gearing up for a lot of potential cases that could come their way as a result of that. Right. Um, let's talk about where we're at right now. With what you, got? Um, you said you saw Center Cinema. <laughs> I did. Um, I ran the Capitol Challenge last Wednesday morning in Washington. It's, a, it's an amazing race. Um, you know, it, sometimes it happens. Sometimes it didn't happen in the COVID year. It's small, but it's members of Congress, and it's kind of an industry thing. It's members of the media. And there was there was Kristen Cinema, although she's not always eager to answer questions from reporters. I said, Chad Pergamon, I said, in case I see Kristen Cinema, because I know she's the captain of a team out there. Does she ever take your questions in the halls of Congress? <laughs> she never, ever, 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 ever does. So, you know, it was like a high in passing and she couldn't run. She had a boot on her leg, which I believe is why in the middle of the negotiations over the spending bill. She had to go back to Arizona for some sort of medical appointment. But, um, you know, it's horrible what happened to her. That shouldn't happen to anyone uh, in, in, in politics, in members of Congress, the media. It just shouldn't. It's inappropriate. It's, it's, it's unlawful. And um, that was an extreme breach of privacy, not just for Kristen Cinema, but anybody who walked into that bathroom who was videotaped walking into that bathroom. So I want you to hear, this is what Joe Biden said when he was asked that question by uh, Peter Ducey mm-hmm. uh, about how we should have handled it and what do you think about that. And I thought to myself, wow, what an easy, one of the easier questions he asked, but I think he totally fumbled it. Um, he did. Yeah. I mean, do we, do we have that? That is cut 13. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, T.L. Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's it's part of the process. And that was just that was that was was that during yes- your hour? I, that was during our hour yesterday. And I remember I sat back in my chair and said, "Part of the process to follow a senator into the bathroom Stop and videotape it." it? Um, it, it is. And um, then last night she was walking through uh, Reagan Airport and she was approached by uh, for the, I think it was the third time in four days she was approached by protesters in a uh, public environment like hey, that. You want to hear that? Let's sure. listen to that. Do you want to cut climate priorities? Is it elder care that you want to cut or is it child care? Senator, please. We are, are you asking for your help. Senator, we need you. I just want to know if um, you can commit as, as my senator, as you, if you can commit to passing a reconciliation that could provide a pathway to citizenship. That she was on the plane. Answer. That yeah. was on the plane. When the first one was in the airport. Right. And then they were waiting for her when she landed. And I don't know where they think they're going to get with this, um, but they were clearly asking her, as you heard there, uh, what she would cut from this. I don't know where you see this going, but I don't know why any any activists or protesters think that they will they will come out on top behaving in that way it's just a, it's a bad example and well it's quite frankly it's a very scary precedent and uh, I, I hated what they did to Mitt Romney I hated what they did to Lindsey Graham too and just so you know a difference Lindsey Graham said on January 6th I've been a sport of the president but I'm out and he got a lot of blowback on that he goes on a plane he gets harassed you know who called him hmm. President Trump mm-hmm. said I, I heard you if you need protection let me know we could handle that are you okay he goes yeah I'm fine 
Why would why would that not even be an instinct? This this a human human being, and I'll contend you might not agree, but if it was AOC, if it was Jay, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal, uh, getting harassed, there would be outrage from the president. You would have handled it totally different. Yet they're all Democrats, yeah. but it would have been totally different. If, AO, if AOC was being yelled at in the air, would it be wow? Because they don't, we Americans don't like minorities with power, yeah. uh, people of color with uh, sway. That would have, they would have been totally played differently. And, and, and perhaps if the president, I, I want to at least assume, perhaps if he was given a second jab at that question, he would have answered it differently. Because then Jen Psaki uh, came on. Uh, she held a briefing during our hours yesterday as well, following the president's comments, and she very, um, very much condemned those actions, uh, called it inappropriate. I think she felt like she was sort of walking back the president's part of the process comments. Yeah, here it is. Cut 14. The protection of the freedom to protest, to speak out, and to criticize is fundamental to our democracy. The president believes that. Maybe he shorthanded it, but he wanted to make that clear this morning. What happened this weekend was that her classroom, her students, uh, and, and the safe and intellectually stimulating environment she's worked to create during the years she's t- of teaching at, at ASU were, was breached. That's inappropriate and unacceptable. And Sandra, how do you get in the classroom? I mean, you can't. The security is so high in these campuses now. She, they, these protests had no business Which to be there. Which makes it even worse, yeah. right? And then, there, and then, um, Senator Manchin um, was approached by this group of activists. They were on kayaks. He was on a houseboat uh, in Washington. That's this where he was lives, last yeah. week. But this happens to everyone. Was the president's word? I don't think so, and it certainly shouldn't. Right. Uh, so I want you to hear uh, Allison and uh, Eric do a great job. Uh, and Pete, when uh, they do, they'll listen to other channels. And this is relatively, for me, astounding. This is Laura Jarrett, Valerie Jarrett's daughter, who's on CNN in the morning. Mm-hmm. Cut 15. Some video surfaced this weekend of protesters following uh, Senator Cinema into a bathroom to confront her on her opposition to a different plan, not, not the reconciliation plan, but this $3.5 trillion plan to remake the social safety net. Uh, Following someone in, into the bathroom is obviously gross, but it, does it also suggest to you, Julian, that voters might actually be more engaged and animated on these issues than we might actually understand? Wow! Come wow. on, are you kidding? Really? There, there, there was a, there was a sunny side to that happening. <laughs> I, I guess is what we're supposed to expect. Um, gross, unlawful. Yeah. Uh, breach of privacy. It's a two-camera shoot, by the way, in the bathroom. Horrible. And you know what I often think about? And I feel like by now we've all seen that clip many times, unfortunately. Uh, what if Senator Cinema had engaged? Because she didn't at all. She came out of the stall. Hopefully she was texting for help in the bathroom because that could have gotten very scary. Um, but she emerged from the stall, washed her hands. She did not engage. And I worry in those instances, had she engaged could that have become heated? Could no it question. become violent? No question. And that's a big decision. Um, you know, I had to make one time. I have other people talk to me, and it doesn't – most of the people are supportive, but I've had people say stuff to me, and you say to yourself, I'm not going to create a viral moment for that person. No. I'm not going to make this worse. Yeah. You could even be uh, like a professional boxer or a UFC star. What are you going to do, body slam the person? not going to end well. Right. And then it's always just going to be upgrading it. And then someone else is going to take revenge on somebody else because of what happened. So you got to keep walking. Yeah. 
And I just think that you got to put a stop to it. You got to quickly say this is out of bounds. You want to protest in front of the White House? You want to? You know where their office is? That you actually can walk into these offices mm-hmm. and knock on the door. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty open. So I have no patience for it, and I could not believe he uh, he fumbled on that um, because I think it's only going to get worse. The crazy thing is, these are Democrats. This is Democrats on Democrats. The best soundbite I have heard in quite a long time is Joe Manchin telling 25 reporters, I have never been a liberal. I'm a moderate. Why you guys know me? Why would I vote for this? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's the way I thought President Biden would be saying. But he has chosen, maybe he has to, maybe he doesn't, he has chosen to side with the other side. I want both these bills linked. And the moderate said, really? Both these bills linked? Ron Klain never asked Ro Kahane, says he's never at any point asked us to decouple these bills. Mm-hmm. So you have Harold Ford on our channel, Democrats, saying, take the win. Mm-hmm. Senator Coons, can we take the win? Mm-hmm. And that would have been the bipartisan bill. He could have actually said, I'm bringing people together. I did what Trump couldn't. So you're making a case. I remember I think it was political playbook yesterday was saying that the win here for progressives is that they've tied these together. Uh, the win for moderates is that they brought the price tag down. I don't know if you see it the same way, but uh, well, that, that would be one way to spin it, uh, I suppose. Uh, I, I just wonder from your perspective, Brian, do you believe that this is a moment with so many people looking at the infighting in the Democratic Party today as a result of these massive spending bills? If you think this is a moment, a, a reality check for Democrats as we head into the midterm elections. It depends on what it turns out. Like right now, they slide right through Christmas and they don't get anything done. I mean, does it blow you away that he is now campaigning for this reconciliation plan in Michigan today? He said it was going to pass by Memorial Day, mm-hmm. maybe July 4th. Mm-hmm. Now he's like, oh, my goodness, I don't have the votes. I have to go to Michigan. When questioned on his agenda, he's like, I've always said, give me a year, President Biden said. So he's still oh, really? himself a year to get something done. Okay. i, I got to <laughs> jot that down. Uh, listen, when we come back, Sandra Smith previews what's coming up on her show from 1 to 3. Uh, and then uh, we'll find out if there, we do, and need, do indeed need to know more. We're getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, you have until 9 tonight to get it, but the drawing is not until 10. I'm here with someone else who has gotten their ticket. Now, James, you bought your ticket. What are you going to do with that money if you win? Well, I'm definitely going to get a a new supercharged Mustang with dual exhaust and about 5 kilos of cocaine. And I'll be good to go. Okay, so you like cars. You like yeah, cars. I love cars. I don't like cars. I don't know what I would do with all of that money. I would have to sit on it, pray on it for a day. So, <laughs> so that? this guy, if I if I win the lottery, I'm going to buy five kilos of cocaine, ah! and she chose to say, "Oh, you like cars." That is fantastic. Very nice. Sandra Smith is here. Her show, America Report, starts at one. It'll go to three o'clock or into uh, one of them. John Roberts or Sandra running out of gas. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll see how that. Martha actually takes the handoff from you. And Martha will be on, on with us on America Reports. Uh, we're going to take in a little CRT with her. CRT, which we found out information that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has, has asked the FBI to look into some of these parents that are standing Crazy. up and creating chaos uh, at these school board meetings because they care what their kids are learning in school. Parents have had it. Between the COVID restrictions, the critical race theory in the schools, they just <laughs> math, science, reading, please. 
<laughs> but how do you feel about them now feeling under scrutiny not, from the FBI? They nuts. arrest them? Merrick Garland, what kind of Supreme Court justice would he have been if he's going to play politics like this? Clearly, this, the FBI should not be involved in unwinding what parents are saying at school board meetings. He cited examples of angry mobs, an incident in Virginia that led to an arrest after the school board discussion and critical race theory became violent. How many... Um, of these of these meetings have we ser- seen turn violent and I, I think Brian it's important to recognize these parents that are trying to stand up for not just their kids but their communities there have been people in these board meetings Brian that don't even have kids in the school system they see what's happening in their communities and it's a mess I just want to get kids back to school absolutely so who else are we going to have on your show? Yeah, Martha McCallum, that's a headliner. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Marsha Blackburn. She's hot on the Facebook story. Uh, is that going to go back in the afternoon? Are they going back in the afternoon? Is she going to be able to come on with you? Martha? Because Martha was asking questions uh, this morning. Yeah, she's going to be. Okay. She'll be with us. All right. Are you questioning my guest list? No, I'm just, yeah, I'm wondering if there's a problem with it. Are you making up names to impress me? <laughs> I mean, this, <laughs> so is, this has happened before. This has happened before where people come up with impressive names just to impress me, but you say Marsha Blackburn will be free. Marsha Blackburn will be free, and we're going to have an econ panel, Doug Holt and Robert Wolf, bipartisan panel on Citadel, largest hedge fund in the on the planet, leaving Chicago potentially because its head says he can't take the crime in that city anymore. Wow. Are Democrats running these great American cities into the ground? We'll ask. See it one. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.